God's people said, amen. You know, our uh, worship, the singing and all aspects of worship uh, is our expression of what we think of God. And this morning you said you think he's great and he's good. Uh, thank you for your worship. I want to thank you for our worship team. Time to release the kids. First of all, kids, thank you for your voices in our worship and for singing and praising Jesus along with your moms and your dads. We'll let the littlest ones go first, uh, the preschools, uh, nursery, preschool. Let the littlest ones go so they can get out safely. And uh, in a moment, we'll let the rest go as well. My name is John Fairchild. I'm an interim pastor here at Grace these days, and I welcome you. Thank you for coming out uh, on, a, on a crisp Canadian January morning. We'll be turning uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, so you can turn there now, and we'll let the rest of the kids go. Uh, elementary, junior youth, away you go. Have a good time. Acts chapter 16 for the rest of us. <clears throat> We're starting a series. We started it last week, and we'll spend a few weeks in the book of Acts, uh, especially in chapter 16. Uh, I've just chosen that chapter because there are a number of things, really important things, worth noting. And uh, I'm using the word culture a lot. There, there was a culture, a, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving the world, a way of relating to God uh, that is very evident in the book of Acts. Many good things are evident in the 16th chapter of Acts. And so we're just going to study our way through it with the hope that the culture that was there could be uh, weaved into and adapted and embraced in our own church, in our own culture, because the church in the book of Acts in the early years grew so quickly and so strongly, and uh, I think that these items of culture that were in their thinking uh, are part of the key of the church's growth in those days. Let me pray. Living God, we, we just pause the echo of our songs and worship in our hearts and in our ears, and we declare you are God, you are great, loving, good, wise, all-powerful, everywhere present, all love, all justice, righteousness. Speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. When you become a Christian, and you embrace in faith Jesus the Savior as your Savior, Jesus the Lord as your Lord, God immediately gives you a gift. And that gift is his Spirit's presence in your life, in your heart. It's not a physical thing, so you may not feel anything physical, although some people will claim that they do sometimes. It's okay. The spirit is spiritual, moves into your life, and you immediately become aware of his presence in you forever in your Christian life. The spirit speaks to you, comforts you, guides you, 
enables you, empowers you, as necessary, convicts you of anything that you need to change, all of those good works the Spirit does in our life. I, I call the Holy Spirit the best friend I have on this earth. Living with me, walking with me, same with you. Every Christian receives the Spirit. So we're going to see the Spirit-leading uh, Apostle Paul and Silas and his colleagues as they are on their missionary journey. Let's read Acts 16. We'll start back in verse 1 again, and we'll read through to verse 12. Acts 16, 1, he came to Derbe, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, that's of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we set out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So I noticed the Spirit guiding them here. I'm sure you saw it as well. It's, there was a kind of a negative guidance and a positive guidance. Um, they tried to go into one area. Uh, it says uh, <coughs> they were heading into, where was it? Uh, Phrygia and Galatia. Notice the names of these places, Phrygia, Galatia. This is in what would be modern-day Turkey. And then it speaks of uh, the province of Asia and an area called Mycenae. That would be like, just in, in our terms, that would be like uh, County of Wellington, County of Waterloo, County of Oxford, County of Brant, Perth County, Halton County. You know, just, just moving around in a, in a region about, about that size. And Paul is using the names of the places and the districts uh, in that day as well. So they tried to move into one of those areas, and it says, we were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's strange that a, a, a missionary with the gospel would be kept from going somewhere. And then the next verse, it says, well, so we tried another direction. And it says, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And then, uh, and then there's this, this vision that Paul had in the nighttime. And uh, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision, but it was at night. And he saw a man, and it was, somehow it was clear that the man was from Macedonia, which is just 100 miles away or so. And the man spoke to Paul, and he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Seven words. Come over to Macedonia. It doesn't say he spoke, I'm sorry. It says he 
begged. So we'll talk about that a little later as well. It's a lot of emotion in that man, whoever he was, in his voice. Notice just in passing, here's a little bit of uh, Holy Spirit doctrine. I think that's called pneumatology. Don't worry about that. <clears throat> Notice the names given to the Spirit here. Uh, speaks of the Holy Spirit in verse 6. Verse 7 speaks of the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, verse 10, we concluded God was calling us to go to Macedonia. There are other places in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament writings, other names or terminology for the Holy Spirit. Uh, we mentioned Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's just called the Spirit or Spirit of God or Spirit of Christ three times in the New Testament. Spirit of his Son, Paul speaks of in Galatians 4. Spirit of your Father. Are these all different spirits? They're all the same spirit. Just various names descriptive of the activities and the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. And it's also strong support for our, the idea, the understanding of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Sometimes Spirit of the Father, Spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit, one God. And, uh, and that's important for us just to realize that and uh, to understand how the Scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit of truth will be given to you as well. Let's, I'm going to give you a little flyover of the book of Acts. We'll have, uh, in a moment, slide two brought up. Allison, thank you. <clears throat> and uh, we'll just see, uh, as, as we sort of zoom over the book of Acts, I want you just to see how active the Holy Spirit was in guiding the spread of the gospel in these first uh, years in the, in the, of the early church in the book of Acts. You, you will come to the conclusion the Holy Spirit was calling the shots. The Holy Spirit was in the driver's seat. Now, as churches, and we do it, sometimes we have a planning meeting or a vision meeting, and we get into a room and we get various leaders together and we put up a flip chart or a whiteboard and we brainstorm about what should we do next and what's really important. And we write things on the board, and I'm not disparaging that, that's part of the process. But what you really want is the Holy Spirit guiding you. You want your planning meetings to be superintended and led by the Holy Spirit. We want him calling the shots. Let, let me read some of these verses. Slide 2, Acts 8, 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It was just the next step. Philip did so. Uh, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch was, was, became a Christian, and he took the gospel with him on the rest of his journey into Ethiopia. But the Spirit triggered that moment. Slide 3, Acts 10, 19. The Spirit said to Peter. And this is where the, the big sheep came down out of heaven in a vision to Peter, and it was full of animals. And if you're uh, new to the Christian faith, you're going to say, that's weird. Well, it was weird. Uh, it, but it was full of animals, and some of them were unclean to Jewish people. And, and the, the, the Spirit said, eat, Peter. And Peter said, no, I can't eat those things. And, and uh, anyhow, chapter 10, verse 19, the Spirit said to Peter, Simon, these men are looking for you. There were three men at the front door. So get up and go downstairs, and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Spirit guiding the church. Peter went, amazing things happened. Acts 11:12. 12, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them, said Peter. How did you know that, Peter? The Spirit told me. I know you're wondering, how does that happen? 
Well, we'll, we'll explore that a little bit. Acts 13, 2, various church leaders were together while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. There's the Holy Spirit guiding the church again. Acts 13, verse 4, just a couple of verses later, the two of them, Saul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 6, this is our passage this morning, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, and the next verse, verse 7, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. In these passages, it says the Holy Spirit spoke to them and directed them, uh, but it doesn't say how. The, the, I often wonder, how did he do that? You know, it says the Spirit said do this. How, how did that work? That's, that's my curiosity. Let me show you from the book of Acts just a few ways that the Spirit of God guided the church in the book of Acts, and I think perfectly relevant for today as well. Slide nine, various means of guidance in Acts. The Spirit guides through Scripture. This is foundational. Um, in Acts chapter one, <clears throat> the early Christians uh, were, were wondering what to do next, and someone, someone in the room thought of some verses, or some verses came to mind from the book of Psalms, and they said, let's take a look at these. And those verses gave them the next step. It was to re remember Judas was, was lost to their group, but they needed a 12th apostle to fill the gap. And those verses guided them in that process. In fact, it stimulated them to take that step of leadership. So God guides through scripture. It's foundational. Uh, and uh, and if, if any guidance that you are feeling does not align with scripture, uh, uh, it's probably not from God. Hear this, every Christian should work at developing a rich working knowledge of Scripture. From both the Old and the New Testament, and let those Scriptures shape your character, your faith, your values, and your relationship with God. Scripture must shape us and form us. There's a term commonly used nowadays called spiritual formation. Scripture is essential in the shaping of my new life in Christ. Have you just moved to a new city? Scripture will not tell you which church you should join, but it will tell you you should join a church that preaches the gospel. Second way the Spirit leads us is through visions and prophecies. We've just seen this in the passage that we've been looking at right here in chapter 16. <clears throat> there was the, the, the Peter and the vision of the sheep. There was uh, other things where... The, where uh, these are quite, what's the word, spectacular, uh, these visions or these dreams. Uh, I'll have another word to say on those in a few moments. But the Spirit used those means. Some Christians would say, oh, he doesn't do that anymore. I, I don't agree, but I want to I take a closer look and make sure we don't misuse or misemphasize those things as well. Number three way the Spirit leads, uh, as, as we see in the book of Acts, through circumstances. Um, sometimes just your normal natural circumstances of life are his means of guiding your next step or showing you where to go next. For example, in Acts chapter 8, 
severe persecution broke out in Jerusalem and the Christians were driven out to witness in other surrounding communities around about them. That was the leading or the guiding of the spirit through the circumstances of persecution in their life. In Acts 16, which we're reading in this morning, it says the spirit didn't permit them. The spirit said, no, I assume there was some kind of crystal clear circumstance through which the Spirit guided them. We're not exactly told, but I'm assuming some kind of circumstance. <clears throat> in Acts 23, Paul moves from Jerusalem to Caesarea and uh, at the hand of the governing authorities. They just grabbed him and moved him there, and those were circumstances beyond Paul's control. He hadn't planned to go to Caesarea, but they were not circumstances beyond God's control. He works through means uh, someday, times, many times, maybe most of the time in our lives. The number four way God uh, guides us these days is through the advice and words of fellow Christians. Church leaders of the time in Acts were quite directive, sometimes sending people from one city to another to help in churches in uh, particular areas of ministry need. In, for example, in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas was dispatched from Jerusalem to Antioch to be with a new convert named Saul of Tarsus. And he was there to help Saul of Tarsus in leading that church and helping Saul learn the ways of God. And uh, so Barnabas was dispatched and sent by his uh, fellow leaders in Acts chapter 9, verse 30. Saul was sent from Jerusalem back to his hometown in Tarsus for his safety and ongoing spiritual development. And it was the church leaders who sent him. So God was leading and directing the church even through the advice and words of fellow Christians. Lastly, through direct communication. It says, sometimes the Spirit said, and doesn't say anything else. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? I think sometimes they literally heard the voice of God. In Acts chapter 8, it says, the Spirit said to Philip, go, go visit that chariot over there. In Acts chapter 10, verse 19, the Spirit spoke to Peter. My main point this morning <clears throat> is to help us to see a culture in the early church of valuing and responsiveness to the leading of the Holy Spirit as they carried out the gospel mission in their day. I would love that to be a vital part of our culture here at Grace, <clears throat> that we would value and seek and treasure the leading of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives, our families, our friendships, our ministry area in the church and in the overall direction and activities of the church. We're searching for a new lead pastor. We need the help and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's some things I'd like you to keep in mind now as we talk about this subject further on the subject of the Spirit's leading. <clears throat> First of all, about the supernatural directives of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Dreams, visions, or a direct word. The first thing to notice is that they were rare. Sometimes you read through the book of Acts, and you think, yeah, it's happening every second page. What's, what's wrong with my life? I haven't heard, a, I haven't seen a vision, uh, maybe ever. Is there something wrong with my life? You know, this is, this is rare, uh, uh, but... Uh, the book of Acts took place over about 30 years, and the few instances that had happened were spread out such that they actually were rare, and there were lots of just ordinary days where there was no vision or dream happening, 
and, uh, and I want us to realize that perspective uh, as well. <coughs> it wasn't as though there was a spectacular vision happening <coughs> to the average Christian every week. So if you haven't had a vision lately or ever, like me, relax, it's normal. <coughs> Second thing I want you to notice is that the supernatural kinds of leadings the vision or a dream or a word always, and you can look at this carefully, always signaled or inaugurated a significant change in what God was doing or how he was doing it. <clears throat> if you were looking to buy a new car and you're trying to decide between a, a Mercedes and an Audi, you're probably not going to have a vision because that's not a big deal, right? Just read the the internet and figure out which one you want to buy. <clears throat> but when God was about to do something really, really different, often he signaled it or led it or precipitated it through a supernatural act of the Spirit. For example, <clears throat> in Acts chapter 2, remember the Spirit fell, sound of the rushing wind, flaming tongues of fire, like, whoa! Uh, it, was, it was amazing, but God was launching and birthing the church. There had been no church before. This, this spirit-indwelt body of people assi uh, uh, directed to preach the gospel in the, in the world around us. And so there was a spectacular move of the spirit there that, that started off the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, uh, remember Saul of Tarsus had seen Jesus on the road in a vision and he was in uh, the city of uh, <coughs> uh, Damascus. And, and uh, God spoke to a man named Ananias, who we've never heard of for, never heard of since. But God spoke to Ananias very clearly, supernaturally, and said, go find Saul, lay your hands on him, and launch him into his ministry. Ananias did so. That was a huge moment in the spread of the gospel and the development of the church in these early years. Acts chapter 10. Peter was directed to a Gentile's house to preach the gospel. No, he said, Yes, said God, a huge development as the gospel jumped the barrier between Jew and Gentile and Peter went and preached to Gentiles and lo and behold, they were given the spirit too. That was a major moment, but it was precipitated by an act of the Holy Spirit guiding Peter. In Acts chapter 13, the church leaders were together praying, worshiping, fasting, and then it says the spirit said, send out Barnabas and Saul together. And uh, so that, that moment, again, was, a, was, again, God signaling the next step. And that was to send Paul and Barnabas out on, uh, on their first missionary journey. Something that, if you think about it, changed the world. God made it happen. There was no doubt about it, and away they went. <clears throat> Acts 16, where we are this morning. Paul and friends are trying to figure out where to go next, and then they had this vision, and it was clear. Go to Macedonia. What was the big change there? It was moving out of Asia into Europe. The gospel was spreading. This was a significant leap forward because Macedonia and the city of Philippi uh, were European and it was, it, the gospel was on the march. God has signaled the next step. Another thing for you to notice <clears throat> is that the lead, though I said the <clears throat> supernatural leadings of the spirit are rare, I think the daily more natural leadings of the Spirit, which are just as important, are more common than we think. <clears throat> that, that the Spirit has led us, 
You know, you know what happens here <clears throat> is that sometimes you don't realize it until you look back in hindsight, right? You've been, <clears throat> you've been going along a <clears throat> certain pathway <clears throat> and life seems pretty normal. <clears throat> and then you pause for a while and you look back and you go, oh my goodness, look, look, <clears throat> look at that coincidence. Look at that thing over there. Look at that person who came across my path. Look at, the, look, look at how I got sick there, but how, you know, how it led me to do this, that, and the other thing. And you look back and you see the fingerprints of God all over your life. And it's, it's the more natural leadings of the Holy Spirit, which are very important. And uh, when you do this, and I encourage you to look back reflectively and look for God's working in your life, it's super duper encouraging. Like it's, 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 it strengthens your faith. And it gives you stories to tell to one another about God to build each other's faith. So be aware of that, please. Oh, for example, you know how we, this, this school that we meet in and the six acres of our property here, you know how we found it? Uh, somebody, I think it was Andy. I think Andy took a wrong turn one day and drove by here. And, and, and I like that, a wrong turn. And discovered it and put us onto it. And one thing led to another. So, wives, if your husband refuses to ask for directions and gets lost, it's just the leading of the Spirit. <laughs> and let not that be the only thing you remember this morning, either. <laughs> <clears throat> Lastly, it almost seemed like God was mixed up or didn't know what he was doing. Like, they wanted to go into Bithynia. God said, no. They wanted to go and preach the gospel. There was a need. No. Then they wanted to go to Mycenae. No. But what about those people? If you read the book of 1 Peter, in the very first verse, Peter addresses those people. God sent Peter there later. He's, he's got it all under control. It wasn't Paul's uh, time to go there. But God made sure they heard the gospel as well. So relax. The Lord knows what he's doing as he leads us in the church. <clears throat> some keys to discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit. What are some essential things to remember in, in discerning the voice of the Spirit? Number one, silence, listening, and prayer. If I only had one point to give you this morning on this, <clears throat> in this busy, noisy, chatter-filled, multitasking world, this would be it. Silence, listening, and prayer. <clears throat> Slide 10. Pray for silence, both in mind and spirit, so that you may hear his voice. If he spoke to you in a whisper, would you be quiet enough to hear him? I just think that's really important. It's a real battle that we face nowadays. We've invented all kinds of devices to fill every second of our waking moments with, with a noise, a voice, a song, a, a podcast or something. And uh, be careful. Uh, make room for silence and solitude in your life, please. <clears throat> I read a story about a, a teacher in a Christian school, Christian private school somewhere, and the teacher wanted to teach... Uh, uh, I think it was a class of boys. I don't know how long ago it was or anything, but uh, he wanted to teach them the practice of silence. And so at a, at a certain point midway through every school day, he had them just put everything down and away, clear a desktop, and sit in silence. And they started for one minute. And he said, just, just be. 
Don't think, don't plan, don't just sit quietly and be. So they did it for a minute, and then the next week he stepped it up to two minutes. Pretty soon they got up to ten minutes, and this, they were doing this practice every day. And, and uh, one of the boys commented, he said, it's the only time in my day when I'm not expected to perform, do things, or accomplish things. And he appreciated it. Ah, but the teacher began to get letters and communication from the parents who said, I'm not spending money to send my child to the school to sit around and do nothing. That's sad, isn't it? The second key, <clears throat> don't limit the spirit as to how he can speak to you. We've talked about some of the various ways. Be aware of them and be sensitive and be open to God leading through circumstances, uh, the voice of another person, the, the word of God, uh, things like that. Remember, God spoke to Balaam through a donkey, which means he could probably speak to you through me. <laughs> or your husband. Or your wife. Or your teenage son. Thirdly, a rich presence of God's word in your life in your mind and your heart are essential keys to hearing, knowing, and recognizing the Spirit's voice in your life. We've already talked about that a little. Fourthly, <clears throat> this is important, regarding the voice of the Spirit in your life and His leading in your life, treasure it, seek it, and ask for it. That's a great place to start. Just ask the Lord, you know, please guide me, please speak to me, and then be a listener. <clears throat> I saw a sermon titled this week. I didn't listen to it, but it was God comes where he's wanted. And make sure that he knows he's wanted to speak into your life. Fifthly, uh, keep in close relationship and keep in close contact and fellowship with godly, wise fellow Christians. <clears throat> you think you've experienced God's voice or leading in your life? Talk it over with someone who might be able to help you discern what's going on here. They might be able to direct you and say, uh, better be careful here, not sure about that. That'd be good. Or they might say, it's a green light, keep going, man. <clears throat> I remember Eli and Samuel. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and this, uh, Samuel was a little boy, maybe four or five years old. And uh, he was at the, at the uh, synagogue, or whatever it was, the tabernacle, and Eli was the, 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 the prophet of the day, the spiritual master. And Samuel went to bed one night, so did Eli in the other room, and Samuel heard a voice, and it said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel popped out of bed, went into Eli's room and said, you called? And Eli said, no, no, I didn't call. Go back to bed. So Eli went back to bed. And uh, Samuel, Samuel, popped up, went over to Eli's room again. You called, sir? No, I didn't. No, you back to bed. Third time, same thing. He went over to Eli's room, and Eli said to him, Samuel, I think God's calling you. Go back and lie down, and if you hear your name called again, say these words. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We need that type of wise guidance in our lives often. Uh, if we sense the spirit leading, but we're a little confused about what this means, you know, or if I should, if I shouldn't sort of thing. So, so that's why we're in church, right? That's why we have relationships with one another to facilitate that 
very real need in our, in our lives. <clears throat> Enough for now. Back to Acts 16, verse 8. That man from Macedonia that appeared to Paul, I, I was wondering, who was that? This doesn't say he had a name, or it doesn't say that later on Paul met him and said, oh yeah, you're the guy that appeared. No, it doesn't say that. It was just, just a man from Macedonia. And, uh, and it made me wonder, what was going on there? Who was that guy? Was he, uh, was he a real literal person? doesn't say so. Was he kind of a composite, a composite figure, a person who kind of represented the whole region, the people of that area? I, I could argue for that. <clears throat> There's a physical, natural realm that we live in which we relate to all the time, right? That's, that's the world we live in. Five senses, taste, touch, smell, etc., and uh, vision. And, um, and so we're so used to this world, but there is another realm. There is an even more important realm, and it's the spiritual realm. Sometimes in Scripture, just on a few occasions, individuals had their eyes open to see beyond what we all see and to see the spiritual realm, and in every case, they all go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. I think this man from Macedonia was speaking out of the spiritual realm in that region for the people and their needs. It's just, just my thought. And though everything might have looked fine on the surface in Macedonia, everybody's, you know, doing okay, etc., just the normal troubles of life, <clears throat> that man from the spiritual realm was perceptive of the tragic and desperate spiritual state of the region of Macedonia. And he appeared to Paul and said, come, he begged, come to Macedonia and help us. Paul immediately went. And we'll pick up the story next week about what was going on there. It's quite remarkable. So where's your Macedonia? <clears throat> You look around your neighborhood or the office where you work and you think, everything looks fine here. I don't really see any needs. And yet, look beyond that. Perhaps in your life, and we should be sensitive to this, God is calling us through a man of Macedonia in your office, <clears throat> on your hockey team, in your classroom. In Guelph, in Canada, maybe everything looks okay, but there are troubling symptoms all around us, and they seem to be increasing, actually. And are they bubbling up out of the spiritual needs of our world? I think of the homeless crisis. It's called a crisis all the time now. Homelessness, sorry. <clears throat> the opioid epidemic. It's a horrible thing. That's killing way more people than COVID is in our country. It's a terrible slavery problem thing. Sexual assault situations, they're popping up. There's new terrible revealings of those things every day. What's going on in the hearts of our people, of seemingly good people? <coughs> Mass shootings really trouble me. When someone picks up a gun, we heard of a six-year-old who shot his teacher this week. I mean, those things, it, it makes me, I, I see a symptom and I ask, what, where's that coming from? What's going on? 
in our society nowadays. Women's crisis shelters are overflowing. They, they can't cover it at all. They're overwhelmed. Food banks are overwhelmed. They're pushed to the limit. There's the threat of new pandemics. There's the threat of climate change bubbling around in our world. And there's the serious and rising threat of a terrible war in Europe that will affect us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. There's, there's just, uh, all I'm saying is there's a need in the world. Let's see it. Let's hear it. <clears throat> maybe, I'm not saying you, you got to go to another country. I'm saying maybe God just wants you to cross the street and take some brownies to the neighbor, speak to someone at the office, offer a word of encouragement which may lead to a sharing of the gospel. Let's be active in our world. Let's hear the man from Macedonia. Let's pray. <clears throat> Uh, let's have a moment of quiet. Let's listen just for a moment. <clears throat> Is there anything God has to say to you, to me, to us? Lord, where is my, where is our Macedonia? <clears throat> Is there someone calling me, calling us? Is it my neighborhood? Is it my workplace? Where can I bring the love and message of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ? Lord, speak to us, speak to me, give us attentiveness, and then a willingness. Thank you for your spirit. Lead us, we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to Philippi. Mm -hmm.